be praying for my eye also. <laughs> I still can't, uh, I can't see out of this eye still. All right, but, uh, but the doctor thinks everything is great. I just can't look through it yet. But he thinks there's blood that needs to dissipate. So hopefully by next week, I'll be able to really see you. So be praying for me. Uh, all right. And also, but I was planning ahead, Josh, I planned Josh Tatiana pop up here. Uh, I had a feeling there might be issues. So I asked Josh to preach. Josh uh, is on staff at, what's the official name? Uh, Pennsylvania Newtown Christian Church. Christian church. It's a Chinese church. And he ministers with the English congregation there. And, uh, and uh, as you can see there, af- after they left, there's one more added to the family. All right. That's Enoch. Enoch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she, did you survive the shock of motherhood? Yeah, yeah, it was shocking. Um, it was definitely shocking. Yeah, we just thank everyone for their prayers and support and all the the gifts for little Enoch. He is definitely a very blessed baby, and we're really happy to be here. It's like the perfect timing for us, too, and he's three months old now and staying awake on his own, so it's just nice to be here. And say hi to everyone. Okay. All, right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So Josh, uh, Josh is like I. Do you have your sword? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. I promise them. I promise them. All right. I'll pray for Josh. You told everyone already. Well, I just said that's how I. Why everybody showed up? They wanted to see what okay. you're gonna do with that. All right. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear it. All right. Father, just thank you for Josh and Tatiana and baby Enoch, and thank you for blessing them and their ministry. And I know they just love that church. They're in Newtown, and we're thankful for that, them to have a new church family there. But we do miss some, and we're thankful that they're here. And just pray you would really empower Josh now as he shares the word with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so I, uh, I did bring a sword. I was going to make it kind of a surprise, but not really. Um, that's why I came early. I wrapped it in a towel and everything. It's over there. Um, but you guys already had it spoiled, so I guess it's uh, too late. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'll just give you kind of like an update on what's going on at the, uh, the Chinese church that I'm working at. We um, have been having like a lot of growth in the group uh, lately. A lot of the kids are bringing their friends now. We've been having a ton of fun. Um, the fests have blessed us by letting us rent one of their houses, and we have like a, a nice yard in the back. So we've been having all the kids over on Saturdays. It started out with just the boys, um, but some of the girls have started coming. But we, we just have all the kids over, and we like shoot BB guns and you know, throw throwing stars and just a, a lot of crazy stuff that boys love doing. Um, I loved doing it when I was a kid, so I figured they would too. Sure enough, they love it. Um, some of the parents actually came last night, and um, they saw how much fun the kids were having with the BB guns and the throwing stars. And like, where can we get these for our kids? We didn't know they liked them so much. So you never expect, like, you know, a Chinese or really strict, rigid parents to be buying their kids throwing stars, but they are. So uh, we, we really love it. We, we love having fun with the kids. Um, uh, we've been going through all the basics of, you know, the gospel, uh, baptism, all, all, you know, all the basics of Christianity with the kids because we don't really know where all of them are at. We, we do now, but when we first got there, we didn't. But um, we surprised the first kid who got baptized in the church. We surprised everyone by getting him a sword. Um, we, we decided, uh, me and Tatiana, I don't know what we decided on. We, we were just like, well, let's get a gift for whoever gets baptized. And what better gift could you give a kid than a, a sword? So we got, um, his name's Mark. We got him a sword and we got it for him. Um, and we weren't really sure how the parents were going to react, right? Cause it was like, 
Uh, he's a kid, and he's getting a sword. He's, like, in high school, though, so I guess it's not a big deal. But we got him a sword, and he loves it. And now everyone loves the swords, and, and they know that I like weapons and stuff like that and coming over and playing with weapons. So uh, we have another kid who's getting baptized soon, and he wants a sword also. And there was a, a girl at the church that had gotten baptized before we got there, so we got her a sword. So by the end of it, everyone's going to have a sword. Um, and the reason why we do it is because Jesus told us to. If you don't know, in Luke 22, I believe it is, uh, he... He says that if you don't have a sword, sell your tunic and go buy one, right? Now, the whole point of the sword is not offensive. It's not a crusader sword. And actually, we did get him a crusader sword. But um, it's not supposed to be offensive. It's defensive. You're supposed to be able to protect yourself and your family. And that was kind of the idea behind it. And we call him the sword of the spirit, right? Um, We give them all a sword of the spirit because we want them to always remember their baptism, that their power comes from Christ through the word of God, the sword of the spirit, right? So that's why we got it for them. And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's kind of the update from the church. It's just been going really well, really awesome. Um, Oh, yeah, don't worry. We'll get there. We'll get there. It's part of the sermon. Um, Yeah, it's part of the sermon. So uh, to show you how well things are going, uh, just on Friday night we had a kid punch through some glass on accident, and he had eight stitches in his hand. But that's how you know the youth group's going really well, when kids are getting injured, right? Uh, If they're not getting hurt, you're not having enough fun. So... uh, do you guys remember Tyler Humphreys when he split his arm in half at that youth retreat? That we were having a great time, you know? You don't, have, you don't get injuries when you're having a boring time. You know, you've got to be having a great time. So anyway, um, uh, can they see the screen right now? Uh, okay. Uh, so the title of today's sermon is David and Goliath, dot, 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 and Saul. Um, because most of us, when we hear this story of David and Goliath, we often think, oh, it's just about David and Goliath, Right. It's mostly just about that, but in reality, I think that the story has a lot more to do with David and Saul than it does with Goliath. Because have you guys ever uh, watched a movie, and, like, you're halfway through the movie, and a new character gets introduced? Have you ever, like, seen that? A new character gets introduced, and then, like, a couple minutes later, they die, right? Because that's usually, you know, you don't introduce a new character halfway through a movie because... You don't have any character development. That person just shows up to die, and that's just like, oh, they're supposed to make you feel something. Well, that's what Goliath really is in this story. He comes in about halfway through First Samuel, and shows up, he dies, goodbye. He's just a plot tool to move the plot along in the greater scheme of the story. And that's kind of what we see here in First uh, Samuel. But what we really have to understand when we go into this story of David and Goliath is that there's a lot more going on than just a giant showing up and David killing him with a sling. There's so much more going on because, you know, a lot of us know the story of David and Goliath really well. We've seen it uh, since we were a kid. You may watch the Veggie Tales, right, where, you know, the, he's got the sling, but he has no arm, and he's still slinging it. It's really funny. Um, and then the rock hits Goliath, and it plink, bounces off his head. Oh, and the, David wins and kills Goliath, and he doesn't cut off his head in the Veggie Tales story, but he does in the Bible. So we're going to get there. Um, but, yeah, we, we all know the story. We hear reference of it everywhere. You know, Rocky Balboa versus Apollo Creed, David versus Goliath, the untrained boxer against the professional champion. We, we see it everywhere. And I think that the reason why we see it everywhere is because God is a really good storyteller. So anytime he tells a story, people try and copy it. And that's exactly what happens in um, uh, our culture today. We all know the story of David and Goliath. Whether you're a Christian or not, everyone knows the story. So before we get into the story, let's go over a little bit of the context that's happening between Saul and David, right? So if you don't know, Saul at this point is king. 
Saul's king, and he's really good at being king for the most part. He's really good. He's doing the will of God. He's God anoint, God's anointed king. He's destroying armies, the Amalekites, all these other, the Jebusites, the, the Parasites, all these guys. You know what I mean? The, all the ites. He's killing all the ites, and he's taking over. He's doing what God told him to do. He's doing a really good job. He's confident. Uh, he's, he's destroying nation after nation, and he looks unstoppable. Yeah. He's unstoppable, and, he's, and he really knows he's unstoppable, one, because he keeps winning and because God is with him. Samuel makes the sacrifice. <laughs> he's crazy. Um, I talk to him all the time, uh, and he always talks back. So he's, uh, Saul's crazy. He knows that he's going to keep winning, and God is with him because Samuel keeps telling him God's with him, and he knows it. And that's why he keeps winning. He has no fear at all. Like if you see any of the stories, you see that uh, Saul is just going out there, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's going out. He's winning, and he, he just knows he's going to win. But something happens before the story of David and Goliath that shakes his confidence. God tells him to go and uh, take out the Amalekites, and he says, dedicate them to complete destruction, which means you can't take any spoils of war. You've got to kill everything. You're not allowed to take any of their sheep. You're not allowed to do any of that. You have to destroy everything. But if we turn to the story, and you may know the story already, um, it's in chapter 15. Um, we see what happens. I'll just fast forward to the end. He beats the Amalekites, but he doesn't do what God told him to do. Now, here's what it says. Um, this is Samuel talking. He says, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pr- uh, uh, pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers, at this moment, as he's saying this, the soldiers are bringing the sheep behind him. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Uh, For the rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. So, we just had this happen. This story show up. Um, Now, Saul isn't so confident anymore, is he? He thinks that he's unstoppable, and he is, until now. Because until this point, he was supposed to be the one to be king of Israel for basically all of time. Um, He had some stipulations in the covenant, and he broke them. He broke them right here. Now, what does Samuel say to him? Just a few verses later in verse 28, he says, Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. So just keep this in mind. As we're going through the story of David and Goliath, just keep this in mind. What's happening here with Saul? What do you think is going on in his head? Is he thinking God's with me now completely and I have no chance at losing anymore? Probably not. Right now, Saul's thinking, I could lose my next battle. God's just looking for an excuse, a battle to take me out and replace me as king. That's what he's thinking right now. So just keep that in mind. Now, in the very next chapter, we see the context behind David. Uh, David just kind of shows up here in the story he's mentioned previously. But here he is. Here he is, and he's being anointed as king. And here in comes the next Um, theme of the story, right? Because we all know the story. Samuel goes to Jesse's house and uh, uh, God tells him, just go. And when you see the son that I, that I want to be king, I'll just let you know. 
I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Just go. And uh, we see what happens. Uh, Jesse brings the sons in front of Samuel uh, over and over again. And every time um, Samuel's like, oh, what? this guy, <laughs> this guy, is, look at him. He's big. He's handsome. He's strong. He's just like Saul. He's great. We should make this guy king. And what does God say? No, not that one. Not that one, not that one, not that one, all the way down the line. And then eventually Samuel's like, well, uh, God, I don't know if you know this, but there's no more sons around to, for us to, to you know, look at. So, I mean, I guess uh, you lied to me. Is there no king in this house? But uh, obviously David comes in from the, the thing. So let's just read what God has to say about the sons and just keep this verse in mind. Because this, this verse, there's no coincidence that this verse comes right before the story of David and Goliath, just so you know. Okay. So verse 6 of chapter 16, he says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord, Lord's uh, anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay? Keep that in mind. Does not... He doesn't care about how tall you are. He doesn't care how handsome you are. All he cares about is your heart. And like I said, there's literally no coincidence that this verse happens one chapter before the story of David and Goliath. And Goliath just happens to be very tall and very scary. Okay? Just keep that in mind. Okay, so before we go into the actual passage that we're going to be going into, um, that the sermon's based off of, uh, let's pray. Okay. Dear God. Uh, we thank you for your word and how wonderful of a storyteller you are and how many hidden themes that there are in, in your word that if we just skim over it, we would miss them and miss some important aspects of, of the story. And we just pray that you will reveal them to us and, and use them as a, a means of teaching us and teaching our hearts and how we must act and how we must behave um, in, in, your, in your sight and, and that you are looking at our hearts. So you don't care about how, how weak and, and uh, sad or whatever we are. You just care about our hearts and how, how much we are dedicated to you. Um, so let us be humble before you and... Um, <laughs> Sorry, he's always distracting me. Uh, be humble before you and, um, and just take your word and impress it on our hearts. Amen. Okay. So I hope that was enough uh, context for you guys. There's actually more, but hopefully we'll um, get to that later. So if you want to, turn to 1 Samuel. Um, at my church, we make everyone use physical Bibles, so I hope you have one. Uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, because, you know, kids are on their phones. I'm not going to let them use their Bible on their phone. I have no idea what they're looking at. Um, so, if you have your Bible, um, grab it. If you don't have one, do you guys still do, like, Bible boys and stuff like that, like we used to do? He used to make me be a Bible boy. I have to stand in the back seat. Matt, Matt, you don't know this. He used to be one, too. Uh, you have to stand in the back, and you have a stack of Bibles. And then he's like, hey, if anyone has a Bible, raise your hand, and they'll come and get you. And we had to, like, stand in the back and run back and forth in the aisles. It ridiculous. Ugh, my goodness. It's like, why not tell people just... Why not just tell people, grab a Bible on the way in? Why do we have to do it, you know? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We did get Wawa every now and again for that. <laughs> Bye, Enoch. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's turn to first, uh, first Samuel chapter 17, and we will begin reading. I'll just uh, skip over a few of the verses because the chapter is very long, but I'll give you the context. Right now, uh, the Philistine army is presenting itself against the Israelite army, and uh, then we see the Goliath show up. Okay, so that's where we are. Okay, um, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, 
came out of the Philistine camp. He has a, his height was six cubits and a span, which is a little over nine feet. Okay, so this guy's very tall, very tall guy. Okay, um, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor and bronze, wearing five thousand shekels. Do you know how much that weighs? About one hundred and twenty-five pounds. This guy's nine feet tall, wearing armor that weighs more than some of the, my siblings. Okay, so he's wearing he's basically wearing. Uh, probably Chicky on his body, right? He's wearing Chicky's weight on his body right now, all right? So this guy is big and he's mean, all right? Now, verse 6, on his legs, um, he wore a bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is about 20 pounds, okay? So this guy's carrying a spear. The end of the spear weighs 20 pounds. You know how hard it is to whip 20 pounds around on a long spear. It's really hard. So this guy is big and he's strong. Uh, and this is really uh, setting up how impossibly big Goliath is and how scary he is. And, you know, he should be feared. Okay. So Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this, uh, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Saul was terrified. What, what is this? Why is Saul so terrified all of a sudden? Saul has been on a conquest, destroying nation after nation after nation without any fear forever. But now he's afraid. And the reason why he's afraid is because of what we looked at earlier. He's afraid because God's not with him anymore. Samuel told him, I'm stripping your kingdom from you and giving it to someone else. So he no longer know, or he knows in his heart that God's not with him anymore. So he's afraid. Before this, he would have been like, oh, yeah, I'll get up there right now. God's with me. I can't lose. I can't lose. I'm God's anointed. But now he's terrified. Okay, let's skip ahead to verse 20. Um, this is where David shows up. Okay, so we just got done introducing David in that little section. Here he is showing up. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd loaded up and set out and jesse uh, as jesse had directed he reached the camp as the army was going out to the battle position shouting the war cry israel and the philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other david left his things with the keeper of supplies ran to the battle lines and asked his brother how they were as he was talking with them goliath and the philistine champion uh, from gath stepped out from his line and shouted his usual defiance and david heard it Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king uh, will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. You would think that this, this, this <laughs> would get everyone lining up exempt from taxes. Come on, like, this is like the best thing that could possibly happen. But I think that the reason why this is put here is to show how scary Goliath is. If people aren't willing to line up to get exempt from taxes for killing this guy, this guy must be horrifying to look at. Just imagine someone who's that tall. Who's the tallest guy in this room right now? This is why I was hoping Caleb Shield would be here. He's really tall. 
Chuck Harrison, you're tall. You want to stand up? Matt, you tall? Come up here, Matt. Andrew, you come up here too. Come on, come on. Yeah, you see, you, Andrew, you're getting too tall. You're supposed to be shorter. Is Danielle back there? Yeah, Andrew's fine. All right, so come here. Nine feet tall. How tall do you think that is? How tall are you, Matt? 6'2". Uh, 6'2"? Six two. Six two? Add three feet. Andrew, how tall are you? 4'11". 4'11", 4'11". The average height of the time was probably like 5'6 to 5'10". We really don't know, but that's probably right. So imagine little David here, and then Matt plus four feet. Three feet, sorry. Plus three feet. That's what we're talking about here, and that should just show you how terrifying that is. Now, uh, Andrew, actually, um, I have something for you to hold here. Okay. What is this? What is that? Okay. That two-hander right there is probably the size of Goliath's one-handed sword. Probably, right? Because we just found out that he's able to chuck around a 25-pound spear. Now he's probably got a giant sword. We don't know that he has a sword yet, but it comes later in the story. Um, but he does have a sword, and he has a, uh, a spear. So this is, this is little Andrew here. Get down on your knees. Maybe that would be a little better. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, do you know how to use a sling? Do you know how to use a sling? All right. So to use a sling, you take this side and you wrap it around your finger. Okay, just put it on your finger. Now you hold this one. Are you a lefty? No. Okay. Put it on your right hand. <laughs> okay, now you hold that. Okay, now swing it around a little bit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's pretty good. All right, so this is basically David versus Goliath. But add like another foot to Matt probably because that's how tall we're talking here. Okay, you can actually hold on to that for a little bit. You can, um, I'll take it back from you. <laughs> I'll take that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you guys could sit down. I might have you come back up later. Who knows? Uh, for the beheading part. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. So, I promised you a sword. Here's the sword. Um, my dad always is looking for excuses to bring swords and to <laughs> preach. So, there you go. Um, just following on the traditions of my father, I guess. Um, Yeah, so this is kind of what we're talking about here. Everyone is afraid. They're so afraid of this guy and his giant sword, his giant spear, his armor that's super heavy. They're all afraid of this guy, and they're so afraid of him that they're not even willing to fight him to get exempt from taxes. And also to marry into the king's family. Just think about how crazy that is. If you're a nobody, marrying into the king's nobility family, that means that you are now brought into the inheritance of the king. Not only are you getting exempt from taxes, but now your wealth has just increased exponentially because now you are a family member of the king, possibly even an heir to the kingship afterwards, depending on how many sons the guy has. But this is what we're talking about here. You are brought into the king's family, exempt from taxes. All you have to do is kill Goliath. Well, nobody stood up to do it because they're all afraid of him. And I think it makes sense because he's a very scary guy. Now, um... Verse 26, this is where we are. Uh, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? 
And with whom did you leave those sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Have I ever had that conversation with some of my brothers? Probably. I think I've had that exact conversation with like Matthew five times. <laughs> it's like this is just how brothers talk to each other. And then David responds, what have I done? Can't I even speak? Right. And then he just ignores him. He just walks away. It's like, I'm not going to mess with you. So he turned away uh, to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the man answered as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine for your servant will go out and fight him. Imagine that. This little shepherd boy with no combat experience walks up to the king, and he's like, don't worry. I got this. He's just a probably 18, 19-year-old kid, walks up to the king, who's a conqueror, and he tells him, I'll take on the giant who's been killing people since his youth. I'll handle it. Don't worry. I don't know if some of you guys work in, like, the business field. Maybe you're a manager, and you have some cocky, hotshot college kid come out and tell you, I can handle everything. Have you ever had that happen? Anyone? That's exactly what's happening here, right? So Saul's like, give me some proof, basically. Tell me, tell me why you think you can handle this. Because he says to him, um, let's see, Saul says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. So, usually if someone comes up to me and says, I can kill a bear and a lion with my bare hands, I'd be like, okay, then you can handle this guy, right? Killing a bear and a lion with your bare hands is pretty impressive. But this is Goliath. This is Goliath. Any other time, I'd be like, yeah, sure, you could probably take on just about anyone. But Goliath, like we said, he's big. He's got a sword that probably is as long as David is tall, and he's going to kill this kid, right? But Saul is still afraid. He doesn't want to do it himself, so he's willing to let someone else go for him. He's willing to let David go. Um, and I think that David's response is actually really interesting because he doesn't say, I killed the bear and the lion by my own strength. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will also deliver that Philistine into my hands. The Lord that did it, not me. I didn't do it because I'm so strong and awesome. The Lord gave me the power to take down those animals, and he will also give me the exact same power to take down this Philistine. And that is theme number three. Keep that in mind. The Lord is the one who does that. Okay, so now here we are. Uh, Saul is like, go, may the Lord be with you. Then Saul dresses David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with this sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Now, I don't think you guys have ever seen anyone actually sling a stone before, but if you have, 
you would know these things are nasty. These things are crazy powerful. It's actually, I was like shocked. I looked up some videos of some professional slingers on YouTube. These guys are slinging rocks through solid wood. It's scary. It's like, so when, like remember the Veggie Tales when the rock hits hits the the cucumber on the head and he just kind of like goes ooh and then he falls over. That's not how it went, right? If you get hit by one of these things, the, by the way, the Romans used these slings for like their entire conquest career. Why? They're cheap and they're easy. Well, not easy to use, but easy to um, find ammunition for. They're a lot cheaper than bows and arrows. The Romans had tons of these slings. Each soldier probably had two slings strapped somewhere on his body because they're cheap and easy. All right. So these things have been in use for a very long time and for good reason, because I watched a ballistics test of someone using one of these things. And he said that if you're a professional slinger, you can throw a rock with the same force as a 40 caliber bullet, the same force. Sure, you can't shoot someone across the room, but if they're right in front of you, if you hit them with the sling, not only will it hit them and hurt them very badly, but chances are it will break their bone easily, sink into their skin, break their bone. Some doctor later is going to have to pluck it out, right? That's how dangerous these slings are. And David's got a lot of practice with the sling. That's what he's been doing this entire time he's been out there in the, in the field, right? He's got a lot of time on his hands, um, you know, playing the harp, writing, writing psalms, and, uh, and slinging his sling, right? This is David, right? Um, so this is what we're talking about here. David, he's not going out there with nothing, but he's going out there with a sling. Now, I don't know if you know this about uh, slinging, but there's actually one tribe of, in- of Israel that's really good with slings. Do you know which? Benjamin. What tribe is Saul part of? Benjamin. David's going to use the Benjamite weapon of choice. How do we know that, um, that Benjamites are so good? Well, in Judges 20, verse 16, it says, Among these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, Benjamites, left-handed, each who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. They could sling a st- The Benjamites are the slinging experts. These guys are killers with slings. We see in uh, Second Chronicles, same thing. They're just, they are the slingers, right? That's just who they are. They're left-handed. They can shoot left-handed and right-handed with the sling, and that's the Benjamites. Now, Saul's a Benjamite. Now, like I said, this story is about David and Goliath, but it's more about David and Saul. It's way more about David and Saul. There's no coincidence here that David, a, a guy from the tribe of Judah is using the Benjamite weapon of choice. This story is in here as kind of like the pinnacle of the transition from Saul's kingship to David's kingship. God is going to use David to humiliate Saul in every possible way. Because what else do we know about uh, Saul? Is tall, what, what, is, uh, what is Saul? He's tall. He's really tall. In fact, he's taller than everyone else in Israel. Um, in 1 Samuel 9, when he's uh, being anointed, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So he's Israel's giant. He's Israel's giant who's great with a sling, and he just had some short guy, shepherd boy from Judah, using his weapon of choice to kill Goliath. That's humiliating, and we see how humiliated he was in chapter 18, but we'll get there in a second. So 
now you're kind of seeing what's happening here in the story. Not only is God showing that he can use whoever he wants to be his king, he's also showing that Saul's replaced. Just like Samuel said, he's going to strip his kingdom and give it to someone else. He's doing it right now in the very next chapter. Now, David walks up, and what is David acting like? Fearless. He doesn't even think about it. He doesn't consider Goliath. He's like, no, 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 no. He defied the armies of the living God? Oh, he's going to die. Like, he doesn't even think. He's not like, hmm, oh, man, maybe I can do it. I don't know. I'm really good with a sling, but he's a giant. He doesn't think, and nothing. He's just like, where's Saul? Tell him. Tell him I'm going out right now. I'm going to go kill this guy. And everyone's like, wait, 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 wait. Come, come talk to Saul first, right? David's like, I'm going right now. So who's he acting like now? He's acting exactly like Saul used to act like. Saul used to be the go-getter who would go out and, and destroy nations without even thinking about it. And now David's doing it. And now we're really seeing that David knows he's going to win this fight. Um, and we know that he, and he knows he's going to win because he just got anointed in the previous chapter as king, which means that God is with him. He knows that he's going to win, right? Okay, so let's uh, continue on in the story. Um, he took his staff, the sling, whatever, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him uh, kept coming closer to David. Now, if you don't know this, the, when, when you're standing on the battle line, right, the champions, the generals, they would have someone standing in front of them with a big shield uh, because you don't want just someone sniping an arrow, you know, <laughs> at you while you're just standing there. So this was to protect people. He had a giant shield bearer standing in front of him. So as he's going out, he is, has a shield bearer in front of him. So probably like his, his shoulders is peeking out over him at this point, right? So this is Goliath going out. And he's looking at, at, at David, and what does he say? Uh, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. Just a little guy, right? Just a young guy, glowing in health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with six? And this Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give your carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will, will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Who is he giving credit to this entire time? The Lord. The Lord will. The Lord will. The Lord is going to do this. Goliath says, I'll do this. Goliath says, I will rip you limb from limb and feed you to the birds. David says, the Lord will deliver you. And he doesn't need some big giant Saul to do it. He'll use even me, a boy. He'll use nobody, a shepherd boy who's not trained in combat. He doesn't need Saul, the victor, the warrior, the giant of Israel to go out and do this. He'll use a shepherd boy who is after my own heart. That's what God says. God does not care about what you look like or how strong you are. 
He cares about your heart. Just like you said earlier, he wants your heart. He does not need you to be really smart or really strong or really great at something. He just wants your heart. And that's who he found in David. Now, you know that David makes a lot of mistakes. He makes a ton of mistakes, more than most people. A lot of us would look at him and be like, what kind of Christian is that? Look at what he did. He killed that guy and took his wife. He, he constantly is breaking God's rules. But he always repents. He always repents because he knows that he needs to be humbled and brought back to God. That's David, the shepherd boy, the underdog, the guy who's not expected to win. Nobody thinks this guy is going to win with a sling, and he does it. And here we go. Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down face on the ground. Remember what we said. This is like a 40 caliber bullet going into this dude's head. It did not hit and bounce off and he just got knocked unconscious. This guy is dead. Headshot. Dead. That's it. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took uh, hold. You want to get back up here, Matt? I'm going to cut your head off. All right. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath after he had killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. This is shocking, right? We've heard the story so many times. We're just like, oh, yeah, David kills Goliath. It's great. But this is supposed to be one of the most shocking stories in the whole Bible for good reason. Now, Saul, who's watching all of this happen, he's like, oh, who is this kid? This is scary for me because he's like, he just did this not by his own power. He just declared that the Lord was with him doing this, and he did it, which means this is a problem, right? This is not great for me because is this the guy who's going to replace me? And we see in the very next chapter that he very much thinks that David's the one who's going to replace him. Because it says that uh, in verse 9 of chapter 18, it says that from this time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He knew what was going on. He, this is not something that out of the blue where all of a sudden Saul was like, oh, I can't believe David was the one who's going to replace him. He knew something was going on. Now, who is David concerned with um, in this story? The Lord's reputation, the Lord's reputation all throughout it, the whole time. Now, what is the reason that Samuel gives back in chapter uh, 15 for why he didn't destroy the Amalekites like God told him? What does it say? It says when he's giving his excuse, he says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He's fearing man rather than God here. What does the Bible say about that? We fear God rather than man. But here, Saul is afraid of his own reputation. He's afraid that if he doesn't let the soldiers get the spoils, that they're not going to like him anymore, that they might turn against him. He's afraid of that rather than obeying what God said. But here, David is only concerned with bringing down 
this Philistine for God's glory. He's like, I'll do it because you've defied the armies of the living God. I'm not doing it for the tax exemption. I'm not doing it for your daughter. I'm not doing it for anything. In fact, he turns down that offer of the daughter later. He's like, no, I, I am not worthy to be a son of the king. I'm not worthy to be a son of the king. He's humble. We lose this in our, in our modern day, what significance there is of being married to a king. It's crazy how much your life changes in that moment. To be married to the king's daughter, to become a son-in-law of the king, brought into the inheritance. And yet, what are all we? What are we? Sons of the king. We are sons of God because of what Jesus did. We are sons of God. Galatians 3.26 For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. David will not accept the fact that he is a son of God, he, or son of the, uh, the king. He won't, he won't say, no, 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 I, I, I won't marry into the family. I won't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm nothing. I'm just a humble guy. I can't do anything. I'm not worthy to be a son of the king. And yet, we are all given that in faith through Christ Jesus. We are all sons of the king. Do you realize the significance of that? It means that we are brought into the inheritance that Jesus has. We get everything through God. God has everything, which means we get everything through him. Everything. All of it. It's amazing. It's incredible to even think about. David says it himself. He's like, what is man that you're concerned with us? What is the son of man that you are mindful of us? It's one of the songs. I can't remember which one. But he, he's just saying, like, what, we are nothing. We're just people. And yet you care about us. You care deeply about us. It's crazy. Let's turn to Romans 8. Let's turn to Romans 8. This is a passage that we all need over and over again. Just we all need this. Romans 8, verse 31. I guarantee this is exactly what David was thinking when he was going up against Goliath. This is what he was thinking. You ever read Psalm 91? It's like, the Lord is my shield, my rampart. The Lord is the one who who gives me the strength. He's the one who removes my fear. I will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. I will not fear anything. I won't fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that lays waste at midday. I won't fear I won't fear this all Psalm 91. It's like, I have no reason to fear because the Lord is with me. He knows my name. We all have that promise. The Lord is with us. And here's Paul writing about this very idea in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who raised to life, is the one at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor Goliath, nothing, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. This is the confidence we can have. That, that it doesn't matter how weak we are, how many times we mess up, that it is Christ who is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us. You don't have to be a great warrior like Saul, tall, handsome, strong, able to defeat armies. You don't have to be that to follow Christ. If Christ can use a shepherd boy to take down a seasoned warrior who's been killing people from his youth, he can use you to do anything. That's the point of the story. That God is able to use any of us for anything. And we can have that confidence. We can have that confidence. If you are a child of God, God is a good father who wants to give you perfect good gifts. James says every good and perfect gift is from from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift. He wants to give you gifts. He wants to give you fruit of the spirit. He wants you to be more like his son. He wants to bring you into his kingdom and love you forever. That's God. You are a child of God if you are in Christ Jesus. That's the confidence that we can have. John chapter 1 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Dear God, we thank you for uh, your word and your promises that you have made for us, uh, that we can be confident in, in everything that we do, that we have no reason to fear, that you are with us in all things, no matter what we're facing, that you are there with us, giving us the strength to carry on. You want us in a place where we think that we can't do it so that you can show us that your power is greater than anything we could handle. We thank you so much for everything that you do for us and that you even you care about us as your children. And we just thank you for all these things. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Have a wonderful day ahead and have a great week as well. You're dismissed.